children, various animals of sizes of different ages. You know, well, we could just go with humanity. with kids because you know it encompasses the whole children aspect and and the baby goat. No, that's true. That's true. But, uh, yeah, no. I mean, like, baby goats are a major element of our demographic. I, I would hope so. You know, and, and if we're not appealing to goats, I mean, who the fuck are we appealing to? Right. Certainly I not mean, people. I hate people. They they are a higher form of life. I mean, they are. That's why one day they'll rule us with their allies, the cephalopods. I I you imagine that though, like goat mounted cephalopod combat. It'll be fucking horrifying if you combine the goat's ability to simply devour their opponent and the ingenuity and just sheer flexibility and tenacity. I mean, they're both incredibly tenacious animals, but the, the, the flexibility and, you know, wide variety of talents of the cephalopods, you know, their ability to, to, to work complex tools, we're done. You know, we're done. I mean, can you imagine, you know, a giant, a giant mutant goat, you know, with, with a, huge, a huge octopus mech? Riding on its back into battle, slaughtering. I think the octopus slaughtering the masses. The octopus mech takes it up to that that next level type thing. Well, that's what but, I've been afraid of. Um, the other thing too that you got to think about with goats is, you know, I mean, you talked about tenacious, but they're also fucking amazing climbers. I mean, ain't nothing gonna stop them in the fucking mountain the way they'll come down through the fucking mountains, man. Well, that's damn true. You know, you have your plateau. You know, you think right. you're all set up like you know the the what are they called the the Maccabees, you know, and Bible and all that shit. You know, like oh, we got this plateau, we're all good. No nope, fucking goats. Yeah, fucking goats. And you're gonna have cephalopods piggybacking on the goats because it's not like they need water; they just like it. You know. Yeah, it's one of those things you uh, you set your back up to a wall so you think you only have one front to defend and then, oh God, the goats came down the wall and brought the squids, the, the mollusks, the cuttlefish. Anyways, if you're still with us through that insanity, <laughs> uh, welcome to TBD Podcast. Um, Patrick, I do have a question for you to get us yeah. started off. Yes, Etienne, what is what is your question? See, now you know our names. Ah, we're real. We're good at our jobs. Well, what is your question, Etienne? Patrick, tell me how many lights do you see? How many lights? How many? There are four lights! <clears throat> Which, ladies and joins, I think leads us into our, our first headlining segment uh, edition one of the profoundly Patrick Power Hour, in which we celebrate the many varied and delightful works of our friend and brother in arms, Sir Patrick Stewart. Is he, sir? He's a yes, sir, he, right? he's, yeah, he's okay. been yeah, there. Yeah, 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 okay. And, and to that point, I, he's got that, that fucking perfect, powerful voice that just kind of like speaks to you and resonates within you. I mean, yeah. if he was to, you know, form some sort of bloody coup against the Californian government, I would, you know, be right there with him. If he was like, fuck it, let's let's take a bunch of fucking elephants and ride into the heart of Oregon and yeah, fucking hold. take over Oregon in a hostile takeover with yeah. mounted elephant combat, I'd be like, 
I'm right there with you, sir. Straight Patrick Hannibal. Stewart. Yeah, no. Yes. You should go straight Hannibal, Lecter, or the General. I don't care. <laughs> Let's go fucking... One way fucking, people are getting fucked up. Yeah, even A-Team. Like, any Hannibal. I don't care. I'm in for it, and he'll be able to justify it. I mean... Well, I don't those know dialectic about, um, talents. Those dialectic talents. I don't know about Hannibal Buress, the uh, the comedian. I don't think that would be quite on the same level as everybody else. But no, yes. that would be a little bit awkward. I mean, like, Sir Patrick Stewart and Blackface would not be a fun... <laughs> oh, God. Would not be a fun thing. Well, I think, I um, think he has enough respect for the craft of theater that he would understand that blackface is a poor choice. Yes, no, no, no I, I, I definitely agree. But, <clears throat> as uh, the initial question did definitely indicate, I believe today we are covering his delightful work in the uh, fifth season, I'm sorry, sixth <laughs> season Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Chain of Command. In which he is extensively tortured by a Cardassian torturer uh, whose name is currently escaping me, which uh, irks me to no end. Uh, played by. No, I can't remember. <laughs> no, Robert. Uh, David Warner. David Warner is the man's name, one of my favorite actors. Um, involving the great line, there are four lights, as well as my personal favorite, <laughs> You are six years old! Weak and helpless, you cannot harm me. Yeah, I beautiful. It, one of my favorite lines from all of Star Trek. Mm, just, just like anything produced during the nineties, I, I, I can't immediately offhand think of a better line than that. Like, just mm, beautiful. Of specifically Star Trek produced during the nineties, or just the scope of television and film during the nineties. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. The scope? I mean, definitely Star Trek. I mean, there's a couple of Joseph Sisko lines that I think I think rival. You know, the souffle will leave the rise, or it won't. There's not a damn thing you can do about it. So you might as well just sit back and wait. Excellent. Which, again, one of my favorites. Good advice. But, the divine work of Sir Patrick Stewart that episode, I think, is specifically commented and uh, complimented, I'm sorry, not commented, complimented by the fact that he spends most of it essentially nude or in a nightshirt, which I at least am imagining the Cardassians did not give him any underwear to wear beneath. So watching that episode, I definitely would recommend it. It's a, it's a two-parter about halfway through season six. Uh, it's, 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 it's a wonderful episode, uh, torture aside. But um, just remember, in watching that, that he is swinging free. And I think that that's a, a, it's an important element of Picard's, you know, stalwart, steadfast resistance to the Cardassian oppressor. You know, that episode is that, is that while they have dehumanized him, he still swings free. Yeah, I, you know, to second your... your theory that, that Picard is, is simply nude underneath the uh, the humble cloth that he's been given. <laughs> yes. um, you, you know, you mentioned the point of whole degradation. I mean, the entire point is to attempt to break the man, and the fact that the man does not break. He will not yield. He yes. will not yield. Let's talk, I mean, no, slight sideline. If you guys haven't ever, people out listening to this, whoever, if you never looked up David Warner, look that motherfucker up. He was Rachel Ghoul. In all the Batman the Animated Series stuff, he's Rachel Ghoul and tons of stuff. 
Uh, he's he's been in everything for fucking ever. He's the ultimate evil in Time Bandits. The the Terry Gilliam I film. You need to watch Time Bandits again. Oh, I've okay, seen okay, it. I've seen God. it. Um, but like I I've like it's been years, and like I definitely need to like go back and rewatch that flick. Oh, I know you were about to like eviscerate me and be like ah! more 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 just simply simply explode just with disappointment and shock like oh, of all the people to have not seen time no, I, bandits yeah. I, I, I horrified what was mm. that other flick that's in the same vein as time bandits that you kept telling me to watch that I still haven't uh, the other Gilliam film I believe so I, I I don't this is again from conversations uh, past the Adventures of Baron Munchausen? Yes, that, yeah. that was it. Because that's uh, Gilliam's other film that he produced. It was within two years of, of Time Bandits. And Time Bandits is about the little boy going on his crazy, intense journey through the cosmos. Right. And uh, the companion piece is Adventures of Baron Munchausen, where it's the little girl going on her crazy adventure through the cosmos and time and space. And... Um, I think that the two are, are wonderful companion pieces and follow that same kind of crazy dream-reality split. Um, I think that uh, uh, Munchausen deals a lot more with the ideas of theater and performance and also with the line between dream and reality a little bit more than Time Bandits does. But then again, Time Bandits is entirely based around the idea that was it a dream? Was it not a dream? Right. Wait, it's not a dream. Oh, God, Polaroids. Why is it all burning? Hey, it's Sean Connery. Hey, God hates you, Kevin. Which, you know, upshot of the film, God hates you. Um, Which is, I think, a sentiment that most of us in the modern age can get behind. You know, I... You know, I know you love the the Carlism. You know, I don't know if I believe in God, but... But, uh, If he exists, he definitely hates me because he allowed you to create a dog that constantly rapes me. Yeah, you know, I think that's that's a perfect uh, illustration of at least how I feel about God. Uh, And I think think that that speaks to many, many... uh, in the modern world and especially in our generation you know you know I feel like feel like we're truly truly representatives of our generation you know you know it's I'm, I'm lying <laughs> through my teeth it's not in any way well, accurate <laughs> I mean the other thing too is it's it's different based on where you are like um Thomas recently has been spending a lot of time in Oklahoma and like yeah. obviously we we live in California I different atmosphere, different you know people, different um, I guess societal norms, culture to an extent. Um, so I mean, I like to think that certain things are some way in certain parts of the world, but like you, you get like that little glimpse into some other person's life, some other you know essentially reality that's going on somewhere else, and you realize, holy shit, no, some things really haven't changed. Yeah, no, like not at all. <laughs> And it's just it's it's weird shit. Like a perfect example of that. The first time I ever went to Wisconsin, which is with family mm. and to see family years ago, um, I had traveled outside of Los Angeles a few times, um, mainly to other major metropolitan areas on the West Coast. Uh, one time to Mexico, and I'd just gone to Europe, which is this ridiculous cultural melting pot and you see people from all different kinds of backgrounds running around and immediately afterwards I flew with my father to, I was 15 at the time flew with my father to Wisconsin to go see the family and 
Um, I was angry as hell at the time because I wanted to get back to Los Angeles because my buddy had tickets and was going to take me to the one night only of Sir Ian McKellen's mm. one-man show that he wrote specifically for that night for this performance for this audience called A Night Out in L.A., and I desperately wanted to fucking see it, and my pops at the last minute was like, hey, you've got great news, we're going to go study family history and genealogy and see your family in Wisconsin, and I'm like, any other time, I'd be totally yeah. down with that, because I love genealogy, but can we not, can we go see Ian McKellen? No. So, <laughs> we went to Wisconsin, and I couldn't put my finger on what disturbed me the whole time. I just felt wrong, I felt unsettled, and... Finally, it was after a 12-hour day of walking around <laughs> graveyards in northern Wisconsin. Uh, we, were, we stopped at a diner for food. And I noticed that my, my, the, the, the waitress was black. And I looked, like, into the back, and the cooks were black. And I looked around the restaurant, and all the customers were white. And I realized, my God... For five straight days, I've seen no not white people. And, like, especially growing up and living in Los Angeles my yeah. whole life, <laughs> like, it's not an experience you have. It's, it, it's just, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of unfathomable. And that terrified me. Like, that, that full-on terrified me. And like, Wisconsin, you know, current governor and political trends aside is, is primarily, you know, the, a, a very liberal state. And... To me, that was one of those things where I was like, not even in the South, but y'all segregated as hell. You know, Buffalo, New York, heart of New England, segregated as hell. And it's, it's, it's just weird to me, like, how there are still those weird pockets of solar Oh, totally. I, elements. I mean, part of that, too, I think has to do with, with the spread of people where A, people were taken, and B, where people chose to go when they could choose where to go. I mean, That's a good point. definitely if, you know, I was of African-American descent, there's places that I would choose to live rather than places that I would live. Well, and there's also, of course, the entire the, the white flight phenomenon mm. where, you know, you had black people move into these communities and then... Immediately afterwards, the white people went, oh, my God, and then, yeah. like, fled, which is, I actually read this ridiculous fucking article in the LA Times yesterday um, about, yes, that's goddamn right, I still read the newspaper, <laughs> um, about um, essentially white flight from Alhambra because they're freaking out because the Asians are coming. Mm -hmm. Like, how dare they replace our Ralphs with a superior Asian supermarket? We want to drive to pavilions and pay more. Yeah, there's... Because we don't want to smell ethnic food. It was, like, basically the upshot of the article. It was like... What? <laughs> there was a little bit of that in San Marino, too, which is interesting, because you, you think about San Marino being, like, a white-Asian split, almost. Yeah, essentially. It's at like this 50, point, 50. but, like, in the 40s and 50s, when Asian people started moving into the neighborhood, there was a lot of white people that, like, freaked out and, like, fled, and, like, yeah. I've, I hung out with a few white people who still live in the neighborhood, and they've got, like, weird institutionalized pseudo-racism to Asian people. I was not pleased. That's horrible. Yeah. That's fucking... Um, any, uh, yeah. Mm, I like, mean, 
it, it goes back to the whole idea of, oh, you know, it's only going to take one generation for that shit to die out. No, no, it's, it's not. No, I mean, <laughs> deep-seated, uh, <coughs> deep-seated cultural issues enshrined in thousands of years of cultural warfare and nationalism and you know, racial superioritism. I don't know if that that's not the term, obviously, <laughs> but you, you understand what the fuck I'm it's saying. It's okay, you've coined like, the term, so it yeah, exists. Yeah, superiorityism. <laughs> um, it, it 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 doesn't disappear, you know. And I mean, it's it's one of those horrible things pointed out by geneticists, which is you know, racism originally evolved as a as a survival trait. You see somebody who doesn't look like you, right. chances are they're here to burn your huts and steal your food, right? And unfortunately, in the modern era, where that is no longer actually right. fucking anything that you know, ninety nine percent of the world needs to worry about. Like, we're still not exercising the mental capabilities that we have developed in order to overcome these basic genetic, you know, things. That's it's it's no, easy. I, <laughs> but I totally understand. It's not easy, but and we have the fucking capability. We've taken a sharp downward turn <laughs> <laughs> into like super serious but, discussion but yeah going I know, back like, to um sirs ian mckellen and sir patrick stewart um, of course are there many friendships that we've seen in you know in in public that are that are shared like that that are as beautiful do you think not many i mean i mean i i love it kind of as as a as a a weird friendship story because of the length of time that they'd known each other right. and then when they actually became friends which was comparatively very 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 late in the amount of time that they'd known each other like from RSC and shit um for you cretins the RSC is the Royal Shakespeare, <laughs> Shakespeare Company. Company um but uh I'm, I'm sorry I keep yelling at you our our, our <laughs> hopefully devoted listeners he does it because <laughs> he loves you yes the same way that when I beat you it hurts me more you hear me Timmy and get back in your cage. Now, 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 um, now, now, when I drink that tequila. <laughs> now I go, woo, so I better look out, because go right outside. Oh, you know, I, I do not freebase cocaine uh, in a church, you know, during the sermon. Uh, where the fuck were we? There aren't very many, like, of those wonderful friendships like that, that's, that, that that have truly blossomed, and especially between just, like, two kind of funny old men mm-hmm. is especially makes it kind of endearing, and, like, the fact that they did, you know, Waiting for Gatto and shit with each other, and just kind of wonderful. I don't know. I, offhand, I definitely can't think of anyone else who's had such a beautiful, beautiful public friendship in recent years. <clears throat> yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think the other thing that was cool... From that too is the uh, the whole run of X Men with yeah. um, Patrick Stewart playing uh, Xavier and Ian McKellen playing Magneto and having that whole thing of like two people who very do much have like a very close tight knit friendship playing people who had a close tight knit friendship and are still kind of friends but tensions have become a little well and strained. And, and who do deeply care for each other, right. which is one of the wonderful things about that relationship, both in the comics and, and I haven't seen many of the later films uh, because I heard bad reviews. <laughs> there's the things to like about them, there's things yeah. to not like so much about them. Um, but but that, that tension of the 
the I do really care about you, mm. but the stakes are so much bigger than our friendship. Right. And both of them know that and believe that to their core, but have such radically different philosophies and how to, you know, carry it out. It's, you know, you've got uh, essentially lawful good, chaotic neutral. And... Is that accurate? Um, I guess it I might be lawful good. So, yeah, okay. I, 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 Magneto, I don't think is a clear cut character. I don't think you can say that he's evil. Um, he views himself to be good and in the right and doing things that are just. And but in the global scheme of how it affects other individuals, I don't think you can truly call him good either. Yeah, which so, is why. So it might, but he is also very lawful. Like he's. About the order, but I mean, there's also a lot of personal freedom I, stuff in his philosophy. Yeah, there's. It's more like he he has a credo and he sticks to his credo. But in terms of again, you know, how society views him in terms of global rules and laws, he frequently does not give a fuck. Yeah. fuck. So philosophically, he's like a lawful neutral. Right. Uh, effectively, he's like a chaotic neutral. Yeah. Um, which. Ugh. I love that everything in the universe can boil down to D and D. D It always does. It's great. It's like, oh, he just failed his failed his reflex save. He just ate it. Oh, whoops! You shouldn't do that without a higher will save, man. I mean, that's you know, ooh, we put a lot of ranks into perform dance. That's it's really remarkable. It's, I have problems. It's okay. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh God. Uh. But back to the uh, the X Men films, I think you should um, at least see the most recent one, Days of Future Past, because um, it it fixed a lot of the the problems in the old kind of like story arcs yes. that well, they which, had, which I think was part of the point. Yeah, it was. Um, it's a little bit different because mostly it focuses on the whole, you know, going back to the past and the uh, the like new Marvel that they kind of going off of first class. Okay, what they did with that. So it's a lot more. Um, the old actors, what they were doing back then, rather than you know Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, fucking yeah. Halle Berry, whoever the fuck else was in. Yeah, uh, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> well, He's no, Hugh Jackman finally. goes with them. Of course he does. Because <laughs> no, because okay. basically they decided that he's gonna carry the torch for fucking X-Men even though he's dead in the comics. Right yeah. Now. Well, though, um, and he did actually finally come out and say, I believe that. Apocalypse is going to be his last film as I don't know he, I, I know there was, they were talking about, they were talking about one more um, so I don't know if that's one more besides Apocalypse or if Apocalypse is lost no that's a good point I think it's one more plus Apocalypse because there were talks about them doing Old Man Logan and having Hugh Jackman for Old Man Logan which would be really interesting yeah, the I'd other be thing do it, but you know, the other thing I is, haven't seen him stretch those. is the technicality behind it. Because like we were talking last night about, you know, technically, Old Man Logan is not Wolverine, but he's totally Wolverine. Yes. So <laughs> yes, if Hugh Jackman went on and was like, "Oh, I'm not Wolverine anymore. I'm Old Man Logan." Old Man like, Logan. Yeah. It should be like, what the fuck, guys? That's some Come bullshit. On. That's some bullshit. Bait and switch. Bait and switch. Well, you know, in, in, in other wonderful news about, uh, ah, so many lines, um, uh, I definitely want to see, uh, Days of Future Past, I've heard wonderful reviews of it, uh, I, 
my roommates actually just bought like a brand new Blu-ray copy that we can nice. watch on my luxurious 22-inch <laughs> tube TV <clears throat> hooked up to our high-def, you know, <laughs> technology. <laughs> but I'm definitely on, on board with that. Uh, in other uh, wonderful comic book film news um, with bringing back actors playing roles who weren't supposed to be doing it or who had stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Killing Joke news. All right. Which with, I've been super loving. With, uh, with Mark, Mark Hamill, Hamill officially now on board to do Joker for it, which I love. And um, potential of having uh, Kevin Conroy on board as well, which fan uh, oh, yeah. ebullience, ebullience, sorry, uh, would definitely... I think it is definitely going to make the studio capitulate and seek him out. On oh that yeah. Front. Um, um, well, I, it's it's an animated flick, so having the two arguably best or most iconic voices for those characters yeah. is just a smart move. Well, yeah, definitely both. I think creatively and uh, monetarily speaking. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I definitely feel that... I mean, Kevin Conroy is definitely one of my top Batmans. I don't know if he's my favorite. Uh, hands down, no argument. I think that uh, Mark Hamill mastered the old-school, traditional like character of the Joker as it's been for the last 30 years uh, in the comics better than, I think, anyone else has. And, you know, as wonderful as other interpretations, you know... The, the the classic, you know, Jack Nicholson, which has its flaws, but I thought it was does. a wonderful interpretation. And um, what's his face? The dead... Heath Ledger. Yeah, uh, Heath Ledger. Yeah, Heath Ledger's, which was a wonderful new take. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, I watched the, uh, the Heath Ledger Batman movie with my mom, and she liked it, but she thought much more that, like, Jack Nicholson fit the character better. So I think it's interesting just having like the different Joker being kind of fitting with the the generation. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Uh, which was an interesting lens into that character saying like, okay, you know, you grew up during this time period. This is what you <laughs> prefer. You know, I'm more of this era and, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say that I prefer Heath Ledger's Joker, but I think it was a really good take on it. Yeah, I thought it was a wonderful take. Well, which is what's great now about the fact that I think everyone pretty much universally agrees from multiple eras that Mark Hamill is the best, which is the yeah. wonderful transcendent nature of the fact that voice acting can allow you to create this, this, this texture of a role without the necessity of having all of the physicality elements as well. well. I mean, as because much as I love Mark Hamill, I don't... <laughs> think he could actually play Joker in physical form. That shit would be so funny. Like, oh man, all the respect in the world to Mark Hamill, and like, all accounts a wonderful man, but the guy looks like a fucking train wreck. Yes. And like, and he does not have the, the long, narrow jaw, nor any of the sprightliness, I think, necessary to play that role, even in old age. Um... Which, and, you know, no doubt his, his turn on, I think it was season seven of Criminal Minds was wonderful, but he wasn't exactly the most active character, and you'd you need, yes. you need Joker to be spastic and able to He is an element fly. of chaos. Yeah. Which I did love so much of, of 
but he, uh, I, 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 obviously Etienne already knows this, but, uh, I just finished uh, Batman Arkham Asylum for the first time, you know. Really, I'm on that cutting edge. You guys can tell. I got my 22-inch TV. And you totally my... own a current-gen console. Oh, of course, of course. You know, the PS3, <laughs> top of the line, right after the Sega Dreamcast. Hey, and my Sega Saturn, I'm still trying to get to work. Your, your PS3 is it. at least the backwards-compatible one. No. Like, you shitting me. No. Whatever. It's 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 a deep source of sadness that it's not backwards compatible. It, it looks like the backwards right. compatible. Version. It does. It's a fucking lie. I, I have a bunch of PS1 and PS2 games that I was like, yeah, I'm gonna... You go, fuck you. I got so mad. Damn. Like... Oh, like, I wouldn't have given my entire collection to my sister. True. <laughs> I mean, like, I love my sister. There were a bunch of games I would have given her, but there would have been a couple that I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm hold on to this. Front I, I, I for, for personal reasons. For late nights alone, the way Mario Party is for me. Um, well, I I mean, I know you've played oh, plenty friends. of Mario Party alone, Yeah, <laughs> Mario Party alone is truly... The epitome of sadness. It is. There was a there was a point when I was in the garage in Hollywood. Uh, the the listeners, I, I I lived for about eighteen months in an unfinished, unfurnished garage in Hollywood with no internet and spotty electrical and not regular access to a bathroom and you know a lot of a lot of wonderful elements of living there. <clears throat> Got some good punk rock done. Uh, <laughs> But uh, all I know is AIDS. <laughs> pretty much. I actually wrote a, a song called I Live in a World of Piss uh, that was a very, very literal uh, depiction of that, that, that environment. Uh, but uh, there was a while where my buddy was, was uh, letting me borrow his Wii. Basically, he brought it over. He didn't want to trek it back on the train and was like, hey, can I just leave this here? Will you take care of it? And I was like, yeah, for sure. So he left me with... The Force Unleashed 2, which is not a good game. I I know nothing about it. I know it's it's the second in the series where you follow the apprentice character. He's miserable. Star Killer! You just want to strangle him and everything. That was actually recently playing Soul Calibur 4. One of the final mi- one of the final things in uh-huh. arcade mode is to fight him. And he's like, I don't care about your problems. That's his like opening, like yeah. shit-talking line. I almost threw the controller then and quit. No, I, I hate it. As I said, I know you you were a firm fan of Soul Calibur, and I knew you were going to have major problems with that game, yeah. and even more problems with Five, which I'm glad that you've still yet to play. Uh, yeah, I, I made it through about ten hours of gameplay of Four before I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to hurt someone I love. Um, but, uh, going back to Time in the Garage. Uh, I only had the Force Unleashed 2 mm-hmm. and Mario Party 9, which is arguably the worst fucking Mario Party they ever made. And it's the one where they introduced the stupid, we all ride together in a car right. mechanic, but didn't yet have, you know, the I'm Bowser, I'm gonna kill you right. mechanic. Like, so I ended up playing, uh, my best friend had moved out of the garage, we originally shared it, and so it was just me alone with my misery, and I spent a huge number of nights alone all night sitting in the dark playing uh, Mario Party 9 alone and uh, I don't regret it 
but it was probably unwise for my mental health. That makes sense. I mean, misery loves company, even if that only company <laughs> is Mario Party 9. You know, which is an equally miserable thing. It was like, I'm miserable, it's miserable, it doesn't want to exist, I don't want to, you know, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't begrudge Nintendo trying new things with their games, especially franchise titles that have been yeah. around for so long. It just sucks when they completely ditch dynamics that have worked. Like, with fucking Double Dash, why has that never been a fucking... There have been, yeah. like, two or three new fucking Mario Kart since then, but... Well, and Double Dash is still the most widely played Mario Kart, by a huge margin, because of that extra interactive element of you have the one person controlling mm -hmm. the back end and one person controlling the front end. You, you have that whole... It's a totally different dynamic. And again, like, I, I don't know, like, I agree with you, it's, it's, it's depressing when game designers feel this need to change a core mechanic of the game in order to capture a new audience. Right. And what was wonderful about Double Dash was that it augmented it. It didn't right. change the core, excuse me, it didn't change the core mechanic. It augmented it and added in this deeper level of play. And I thought that was wonderful. As opposed to the Mario Party change, where you change the basic dynamic of all of us trying to fuck each other in the face as hard as we physically can to get the most stars mm -hmm. so that we can mock the others and hold our trophy high while they perish in the depths, to, we're on an adventure together! But it's still not even that, because you fuck people over, it's not a team objective. Except for in the, the Mario Party 10, when you're specifically versus Bowser. Yeah. It's all about the fucking mini-stars, which are stupid. Yeah. And, like, you don't even go around the fucking track anymore. No. It's just, like, it's a race from start to finish. Well, stop being a fucking board game. Like, a real good board game where you rotate the board, instead of... You know, being like, this is Candyland! Hey, don't talk shit about Candyland. Motherfucker. Fucking Candyland. I played me my share of Candyland. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Not a Candyland fan. I Maybe I haven't played enough Candyland, but there's, there's just something whimsical about it that takes me back to days of yore. I understand, <laughs> but that, that was true until there was a long period of my childhood where I just played the only board game I was playing. I was playing board games with my sister. She was the only uh -huh. person I was playing board games with. And she only wanted to play Candyland. This is when she That's was like three miserable. or four. I get that. Though. And I was just like, God damn it. Like, at least let's break it up with shoots and ladders. Like, won't play Trivial Pursuit? No, you can't play Trivial Pursuit. So, <laughs> you know. It's another pie wedge for me. Hey! hey! Fuck, do you even know anything? <laughs> Why don't you know about your fucking cultural references from the 80s? It's almost like you, you weren't, weren't born then. Neither was I. Oh, God. But, yeah. And again, all love to my sister. She's fucking amazing. But that 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 broke Candyland for me. That stopped yeah, being it, enjoyable. Um, I, I kind of had similar experience... Uh, with my cousin's kids. Um, I was up living with them back in 2009, and uh, my cousin was finishing up his degree at UW, and so I was um, either alone with the kids or, like, helping um, him and his uh, wife take care of the kids. And, like, really when they're that age, because they were three and five, 
It's like you find one thing that you like and you latch onto it, and it's it's all about repetition and this yeah. thing over and over and over again. You, you power slam it into yeah. the ground. It's like the scene in Kung Fu Hustle where the beast just keeps <laughs> punching the guy's face over and over yeah. through the floor. Like, oh. it's 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 painful it and is. it's understandable. And God knows I did the same thing. I mean, I don't remember what I was chain watching at that point, other than Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, and we're but. back. <laughs> and we're back to the top. Um, uh, which I think anyone out there who's actually seen this two-parter will agree with me. Fuck Edward Jellico. Fuck Jellico. Get it done. Don't you go fucking drown yourself. Yeah. I wanted to kick his ass. I mean, I mean, like the one cool thing is that he actually there's there's the scene of him talking to Troy, and then after that point, Troy doesn't just randomly not wear the uniform and right. wears you know wasn't just wearing sexy cat suits anymore. She's right. actually wearing a fucking you know lieutenant's uniform, which is her rank. But you know that's like the one good thing to come out of Jellicoe's time as captain. The yeah, I I will say like it almost never fails that whenever Picard is not on board shit happens shit goes haywire somebody fucks up somebody does something stupid like ah yeah. uh, I mean he is really the fucking steadying influence he is he is the mind he is the logic he is the tactician he is the rock well I mean yeah, he's the motherfucking cat and I don't mean Dwayne Johnson I mean like <laughs> actual rock though I would love to see Patrick Stewart play Dwayne the Rock Johnson in a biopic about Dwayne the Rock Johnson or to see Dwayne The Rock Johnson do Patrick Stewart in a biopic about Patrick Stewart. That like, would be excellent. I'm not sure which one would be. I think I would prefer to see Patrick Stewart play Dwayne The Rock Johnson. But do think about that. You could have both films produced in parallel. Like, you know, have them come out at the same time. You could even have theaters go back into what they did in the old days and have double features. So you oh, just yeah. have like a three hour. <laughs> the first half of this is the story of Patrick Stewart. And the second half of this is the story of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I would love that. It would be fucking wonderful. Somehow I don't think that's ever going to be a reality. But I want to exist well, in the reality where that flick or th- those two films are real. Yes, yes. I mean, if, if we're um, going to accept infinite possibilities, there has to be a universe, <laughs> universe where that exists. And, you know, leaving out, of course, you know, the, the problematic elements of trying to make, you know, <laughs> them look Stewart, like each other. Yeah, look, you know, ethnic, uh, for want of a better term, because I know that he's part, uh, I know The Rock is part Samoan, I think he's part black, um, and part Mexican? I don't actually know. I, I know that he's like the grandson of like a legendary um, uh, Samoan like wrestler, and like his whole family were like hardcore old school Samoan wrestlers. Um, I can't actually. I don't know. I don't know either. I I definitely did not follow him from his wrestling days. I mean. Many of those, I, those before I my time. I got to know him like when he started doing films. Like I absolutely love the rundown. <laughs> <laughs> the rundown's fucking wonderful, <laughs> and it shouldn't be as funny as it is, but it's so fucking funny. Well, it, it was it was intended to be funny. I mean, you don't get that that pairing of no. casting without it. 
intending it to be funny. No, of course or not. Or if you do, you're fucking stupid and you should not have your job. This is a serious <laughs> film about the plight of gold miners in South America starring Sean William Scott. Scott. <laughs> uh, wait. Um, but no, I, I, I absolutely love that movie. The Tooth Fairy monologue. Fucking... Uh, I have not seen uh, The Tooth Fairy. No, 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 no. It's, it's in that. The, oh. the Christopher Walken monologue where he's oh, talking yeah, to yeah, all yeah. of the goons about, like, I feel like a little boy who's placed his tooth under the pillow and before the tooth pet fairy could give him his shiny new quarter had it snatched away. And there's, like, the moment where his translators are, like, staring at him and then, like, translate it. And he's like, do you, do you understand what the tooth fairy is? Do you understand the concepts I'm talking about? <laughs> All the guys are just staring at him like he's insane. Cause he yeah. But... No, I... Sorry. <laughs> Dwayne The Rock Johnson was also in a movie called The Tooth mm. Fairy. <laughs> oh, I know. I missed that. That's that's where I I was like, okay, we're on a new tangent now and I have no idea where the <laughs> ship is going. The monologue from The Tooth Fairy. The spellbinding, heartbreaking... <laughs> Fourth act confession of the sins that made him the Tooth Fairy. I I haven't seen that, but that's I think definitely a drunken movie. That's one get shit faced and watch it. You know, I'm down. I've I've also wanted to have the the Home Alone marathon day where oh, I just fuck. get wasted and watch all of the Home Alones and like start even, with it kind of good ones, while you're a little bit sober and yeah, then even slowly... the ones that don't even have Macaulay Culkin. Well, he's only in the first two, right? Yeah, and there's, there's like five. Three. There's, I thought there was only like three or four. I thought there were five. There might be. I, there might only be three or four. I saw the ad for like either three or four in the paper when I was like fourteen, and I was like, "You need, you just need to stop. You just, you really, yeah, you need to stop." Well, I don't think I've ever seen any of them in their entirety. Is the other thing really? So, yeah, I. They weren't something um, that appealed to me. It's it's not something that like you know. When I was growing up, they weren't like, "Oh, this is a family movie. We're gonna go see some theaters." <laughs> Wait, it's how not is this a family, family movie? movie? It's about a child being abandoned and then fucking. Well, and also, his family's awful. Yeah. Like, that's the whole point made at the beginning. Is like his family fucking sucks. And well, isn't the second movie basically him running away? I I did not actually see the second one. I've seen I know part of the second one, and he's basically run away. I don't know if that's because his parents are off or if because people are chasing him. I'm pretty like, sure they, they fuck up and they actually bring him on vacation the second time and then forget him in New York. I think that was the... Oh, okay. I think that, <laughs> that was the base concept. But again, I haven't seen the film. I don't understand why they went from the wet bandits to the sticky bandits. I, I, I read press on it's, the second film. It's progressive. You, you gotta you gotta amp up your sexualization. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's horrifying. I don't want to think about about Joe Pesci and whoever the other fucker was. Um, <laughs> sticky. No, I don't need that. They spent enough of the first film sticky without proudly declaring it. Um, also, the motherfuckers got out of jail quick. That's what I'm saying. Unless they like went on the run to New York, which is not the place to go on the run. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, I want to yeah, go to an I mean, overpopulated <laughs> city where the police are going to harass me. <laughs> Aggressive policing, ha <laughs> um, But yeah, no, that, that that would seem unwise. Though I don't know. Again, I'd I, I'd be down to join you on that on that Home Alone marathon. That, that marathon, fucking 
pain and awfulness. <laughs> well, it'd be like trying to do land beyond time, which uh, unfortunately my only exposure to was the land before time 13, the Great Long Neck Migration, which, watching the film, it looks like it's going to be a build-up to the meteor that kills the dinosaurs. And I started watching, and I was like, this movie is kind of garbage. I mean, it's a children's film, obviously. But right. This movie is kind of garbage, but the long necks are all having prophetic visions of giant meteors coming and, like, fire raining from the sky and things exploding. And they all feel this deep compulsion to go to this place. And I'm like, are they going to, are they going to, like, do they, origin do stories that? of Dinotopia here? Is that, like, is that what's happening? And no, it, it, at the end, it's just a meteor shower, and it's really pretty. <laughs> Which, for me, I was like, I was really hoping it was going to end with, like, fire and death from the sky, only lo- little, little foot, or whatever the fuck the main one's name is, only little foot survives with a few of his closest family members. The darkness overtakes the world. <laughs> you know, it might have been a bit much to teach children about. The whole, you know, extinction of the dinosaurs, but they gotta learn one way or another. Fuck it, you have, I mean, (laughs) ain't no dinosaurs today, kids, unless you count the ostrich, and none of us do, so. (laughs) Well, it it takes me back to another uh, Sean William Scott line and uh, role models where he's, I forget if he's, like, fucked up on drugs or... (coughs) Or, like, just tie. I forget what, what his, his subset of circumstances, but he, like, walks past them and he's like, did you know that the dinosaurs are not technically extinct because birds are dinosaurs? And they're everywhere, man. And then he just walks away. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually pretty, it's pretty fantastic. Um, along the lines of role models, which I didn't, I did not see, but which I gather. You, you, you should. I should? I, I, I definitely enjoyed that flick. The TV edits of it are just awful. I was watching one on TBS where I was like, you, you cut things that didn't need to be cut. I also really hate the, the censorship that happens in a lot of the video edits mm-hmm. where they don't even bleep it. They straight up change the dialogue. Well, and, and the I'm things like, that don't make sense. Like, it would have yeah. been so much simpler to be like, like, ah, like bleeping annoys me, but it's still better than fucking changing words. Hey, go freak yourself. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna say it right now. Yeah, I've that's that's like the greatest thing about no longer having like a cable subscription or like mm-hmm. TVs with antennas in my possession. Um, is that I haven't had to deal with that in a while and oh my god. Yeah. So much better. So well, much it's better. it's one of those things where you flip a channel and you're like, oh, Barbara Barbara is on, and you're like, oh yeah, man, I really want to watch this movie, and then you're stuck watching this movie because you wanted to watch it. Yeah, but it's painful because it's the TV edit, and they've edited things sometimes without reason. Yeah, for no reason. Um, my favorite example of that being uh, back in the day, TBS used to do this thing called the Seven Days of 007. They might still do it again. I haven't on TV in a right. long time. Um, but. Uh, whenever they did Diamonds Are Forever they left in like one of the gay assassins burning to death and jumping off the boat and you being able to see his like mostly charred body floating in the ocean off the side of the boat but they cut out all of the shots that actually like visually explain that they're a gay couple 
but then also leave in the line on the airplane where Mr. Kid turns to Mr. Wint and goes, seems that Miss Case is very attractive. And Mr. Wint gives him like a dirty look and he goes, for a lady. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, if you're watching the movie and you've like cut the scenes of them like cuddling or them like holding hands, you're like, the fuck? (laughs) <laughs> moves on. <laughs> but yeah, like, like I, I just don't understand television censorship in that manner. Like, Well, the other thing, too, is, I mean, especially late-night cable, I think you should be able to get away with more. Yeah. In terms of, like... Because, I mean, I was watching role models at, like, 11 at night. I mean, I understand that, you know, you're not, you're not fucking HBO or whatever, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's late-night cable television. You... Yeah, like if you're letting your kids stay up and watch it, you gotta be what it is. Yeah, you know, like I mean, shit. At least IFC left things uncut, even things that should not have been uncut, like Vampiros Lesbos, (laughs) or so it was called Ver la Mer, See the Sea, S E E the S E A. Yeah, I, I followed, but thank you. French film that just one of the most miserable fucking things I've ever watched literally goes like just a bunch of like vaguely off-putting things and like kind of creepy dialogue for an hour and a half and then suddenly at the end the child is kidnapped and there's excessive gore and you're Mm -hmm. like well there was no build to that there's like two seconds of sexy lesbian kissing and then an exterior shot, and then gore, 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 gore. Long, still shots of gore. Like, sitting there. It's not even, like, active gore. It's like, oh, tortured a dead body in a tent. Like, fuck. Sorry. Yeah, there's times when some things need no explanation, but... It definitely seemed like that needed explanation or to just not exist. Yeah! Like, just what the fuck? Like, I mean, make your creative thing, whatever, that's cool, but at the end of the day, I'm going to tell you, you did not build to the scene of the the drifter chick killing the mom. You just straight up didn't do it. You didn't. You just didn't. Yeah, you're, you're... Your vision was clouded. You had something in your eye. You were only... Your vision was using only one eye. Yes! (laughs) Which in a film about seeing seems... (laughs) Troublesome. Um, Speaking of, raging out about films, I saw a wonderful review today uh, of... Or rather, it was a wonderful review that spoke very angrily about the author's hatred... Of the new film Pixels, um, and uh, I haven't seen that. Part of me wants to see it, but part of me is uh, like they just try to make Wreck It Ralph for adults, kinda, but without any actual like, like the the the, the consistent point made by the by the reviewer, and I gotta I gotta look him up because he was just absolutely fucking fantastic. Uh, um, was that. It's a movie that completely trades in nostalgia for and a supposed love of these specific things and then shows no actual love of them. The kind of 90 degree angle of, oh, we've got to kill these video game things that have 
well, invaded our universe? And or? it being incredibly inconsistent as to the motivations of the aliens, whether or not they could be reasoned with, the the positions that they play in the games don't really make any sense. They're the player in Centipede, and they're the ghosts in Pac-Man. Um, whole bunch of weird things. Uh, that explains why the stupid car he was driving was blue in the fucking commercial. Yeah, and says Inky, or whichever one. Yeah, that's literally, they're the ghosts in the Pac-Man thing. And I was literally like, this is just fucking stupid. Um, but again, yeah, like, I, 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 wonderful, angry review. And I've got to look up that guy's, got to look up that guy's name. And everyone listening to this should check out this review. Because, oh man, he just, he just tears into it. Mm-hmm. Some of the invective he uses to describe that film is just, just wonderful. I think my favorite quote being, this isn't a film, it's an active crime scene. And the murder victim is culture? Something like that. It's, it's just sure. absolutely wonderful. It was the, this isn't a film, it's an active crime scene. I was like, mmm, mmm, flavor. Truly delightful. No. It's, it's interesting the, the both necessity and power that a review has, and the like flip side of it, like, you know, what have you done, asshole? Like, you know, what gives you the right to, like, criticize something that people theoretically put time and passion into? I'm going to say theoretically. With, 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 <laughs> yeah, with the, films like the that. The film at hand. Um, I mean, I I have problems with Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler movies, but I do yes. also love the amount that he's gone to, like, support his friends. And, like, he was the big name. He, he attained fame and popularity, and he's had, like... You know, the B-list, C-list friends that have been with him from the beginning is like, oh, you need money? You, you want to be in a movie? Fucking hook this guy up. Yeah. Well, Which you, I think is beautiful and it's admirable. I completely agree. And, and I feel like he is one of the... He, he is constantly collaborating with those people and they are coming up with ideas mm-hmm. together and working on stuff together. The problem is is that the comedy hasn't... Evolved at evolved. all. Yeah. And this is another article I was reading the other day that I thought put it very well, is that, like, his comedy hasn't really developed since the late 90s. And it doesn't... It, 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 it does not hold up. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of the problem, too, is, I mean, especially with him and a, a few other actors, both comedic and non-comedic, you do what works, and you are told to play that character so often that mm-hmm. it kind of becomes what you do. Yeah. And I think that's probably part of the problem. Because, I mean, some of the shit that he did back on SNL was great. Oh, fucking golden. And I think he's de-evolved since then because he's found what sold and, like, tried to bottle it. Yeah. Which you can never do. Which is unfortunate. And that's also, I I totally agree with you, that the examples of when he moves outside of his comfort zone, I've really enjoyed. A perfect example, um, uh, Rain Over Me with Don Cheadle. Um, Don't know anything about it, actually. Honestly, really, really good film. I enjoyed the crap out of it. Um, there's definitely some issues with it, but the whole basic idea being that he's this kind of he's he. It starts with him being kind of like the standard, like man boy, you know, archetype that he mm-hmm. embodies. Uh, with him being kind of like non-functional in society, and he spends like all of his time drumming. Uh, but he was the whole thing about it is that he like is actually like. 
a super high-end, like, quality drummer, like, studio-quality drummer, and he had, like, a really successful career and a bunch of stuff, and his whole family was wiped out in the September 11th attacks. And he's completely retreated into his own reality. And the film is Don Cheadle, like, reaching him. And I was really impressed with what Sandler did, and I was like, this was fresh. Mm-hmm. This was real. And it's definitely not a fucking comedic film. Right. But you're stretching yourself. You're going in new directions. Pull from that. Pull those realities into what you're doing with comedy. Because there's an old adage, you know, uh, comedy is tragedy plus distance. Right. Be that time or space. And, you know, I apply that. I think he has done some interesting things with darker comedies like uh, Punch Drunk Love and Funny I've, People. I've heard good reviews of Punch Drunk Love. Um, I didn't see it or Funny People. Okay. So I, I, I can't form funny an opinion. Funny People kind of goes off the deep end at points, but I liked it, and as far as newer Sandler goes, it's probably one of the ones that's more worth watching. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying Gold to say... standard like, of new Go out Sandler. and see Grown, up, yeah. grown Ups too, people. Like, that, that would be terrible. I yeah. never saw it, and I only heard awful things. I didn't see either Grown Ups or Grown Ups 2, and uh, I certainly, certainly did not... Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have no interest. No fucking interest. I have about as much interest in that as I do in Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, oh, God. which also has Kevin James, or anything featuring Donald Trump. So, that's... <laughs> what, if, what if we had... Um, a movie about Donald Trump starring Kevin James. Would you watch that? <laughs> Actually, probably yes. That would be either brilliant or such a shit show it had to be uh-huh. like viewed. You know, like the classic case of two wrongs actually making a right. Yeah, which they do every <laughs> once in a while, you know. Um, oh my god, that would be something. Or, of course... We could have Dwayne The Rock Johnson <laughs> as Patrick Stewart, as Kevin James, <laughs> as Donald Trump. And see, this is just the so many like deep levels of like, who am I anymore? Yeah. I'm a dude playing a dude, pretending to be another dude. Yeah. Are you really the dude who doesn't know which dude he is? <gasps> <laughs> oh, fucking Tropic Thunder. I saw that. Two three times in theaters, and I don't go to I don't go to theaters. Mm. Oh was, man, it was a great fucking flick, and you could tell that like pretty much everybody that was in it just fucking enjoyed making it. And there was oh, yeah. a lot of ki- people who were kind of playing themselves. I mean, Jack Black was Jack Jack Black. Yes, and I think the the best singular role in that for me was Tom Cruise as the uh, uh, the movie exec Les guy. Les Grossman. Yes. Fucking pitch perfect. Who's the key grip? <laughs> uh, I want you to punch the director really hard in his fucking face. Like, that shit... Well, that, that, for me, like, it was such a perfect skewering of the film industry mm-hmm. and of people related to acting and right. the technical ends of acting right. and, and, and filmmaking, like theater and filmmaking as a whole... That, for me, was a huge part of the humor, because, like, having gone to theater school, like, gone through that, every single one of the actors, like, the characters who were the act, like, like the actor characters, 
were perfect exemplars of people you meet going through trying right. to do professional acting. And seeing how beautifully and how clearly they did that was so delicious. Yeah. And then having them include the fact that, you know, the key grip is the buffest guy on set. He's the guy who it will hurt the most if he yeah. punches you in the face. And they straight called that out. And just, mm, beautiful. Beautiful. I, I was going to try earlier to, to segue into Donald Trump, but honestly, <laughs> I don't even know if I cared. I, I think that's, that's a whole can of, can of beans. Yeah, massive can of beans that I can't even... Can of beans that illegally crossed into this border. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's the uh, who's the uh, who's the rapist Trump? That's that's been the, that's been the whole most recent fun thing, which I don't know if you've heard about. I I haven't. I'm out of. I'm unhip. Um, during uh, there, there was a there was a whole thing where during his divorce proceedings from mm. Ivana Ivanka, I can't remember. One of them was his daughter, and one of them was his wife, and it's creepy either way. Right. Um, uh, his wife in the late eighties. Uh, part of their divorce proceedings was that she originally was like, there were times where he forced me to have sex, and I didn't want to while we were married, That's and delightful. described it as rape. Which um, legally it is. is rape. Marital rape became illegal in the state of New York in 1984 and was illegal in every state in the United States by 1993. Which in and of itself is horrifying that it took that fucking long for marital rape to be illegal. But, side issue. <laughs> um, later she went back and said, it, it wasn't rape from a legal point of view, but you know, I definitely felt violated by the experience. She kind of... It is rape. If you said right. no and he did it anyway, then that legally right. is rape. But okay, we're well. It's, it's past the statute of limitations. Whatever. Yeah. Um. There was this whole thing where a reporter from the Daily Beast contacted the Trump campaign and had a bunch of questions. And one of them was, "So you made this whole big thing about rapists coming from Mexico and everything else? What about all the rape stuff from your ex-wife?" But <laughs> past. Hey. <laughs> And Trump's personal lawyer, not his campaign, uh -huh. Trump's personal lawyer responded with, like, a whole big angry comment about, like, that started with, like, and, you know, the case law is very clear. You can't rape your spouse. It's impossible. There's no way to rape your spouse. Legally. And then proceeded to threaten the reporter... With things like the fucking like you better fucking tread softly, or, uh -huh. or the things I do to you will be fucking disgusting. Actual quote. And of course, all of this was publicized. And it's just one of those things where it's like it's a train wreck that just keeps going. Like you know how people like stare at a train wreck mm. and ends. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Trump train wreck just keeps going. And I mean, this has been covered widely in media, but I just I read oh, this yeah. like yesterday and was just like, I can't. Yeah. No. I can't it, even, can't even. Trump is a clown, and you know, pretty much whenever you run for office, things about your past are gonna get dug up. So you, you gotta fucking expect it. It's a shame that Trump's lawyer wasn't nearly as eloquent as Mike Tyson, and he wasn't like, "I'm gonna fuck you till you love me." <laughs> and just truly 
perfectly lay it on the line there exactly how where Trump stands. Like, I would love to actually have Trump do that during a fucking campaign rally. Like, have someone be like, Mr. Trump, what about the fact that you're full of shit? And just have him be like, I'll fuck you till you love me, faggot. Like, the, the New York accent. God, that'd be so fucking terrible, but I'd watch it. I'd watch it on repeat, but it'd be so funny. Yes, as it was. Oh, my God. And I just... He just... He's gonna go independent. He's gonna do what, what Teddy Roosevelt did when he created the Bull Moose Party. It's... 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 I, it's I it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I, I, I love it. Help. The political drama. Um, uh, sorry for that for that detour into the no, political from the... From the... It's perfectly fine. I mean, we've talked about a lot about things that are awful and pain and misery and um, we all know Patrick Stewart had to endure a lot of that growing up but um, yeah. it's so interesting how he's been able to move past it be such a you know strong supporter of anti-domestic abuse yeah. domestic violence and mm -hmm. I think when you have something that powerful that you can use constructively and is real emotion real passion to grow on it makes your performances even better. Yes, I completely agree. And you know that I, I feel that he brought that pain to his performance in in Chain of Command. Every it's, moment of it. It's uh, one of those things that, like, I truly believe in that whole beautiful sadness. Yeah. That something is so sad, but you're you're able to channel it and express it in a certain way that it just. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, and there's a there's a there's a wonderful quote that I believe was Martha Graham who originally said it uh, um, about artists having this divine dissatisfaction. There's no satisfaction ever. There's only mm -hmm. this divine dissatisfaction, and I think that's why a lot of these artists who are really truly great and connect to a huge number of people and are able to to funnel their own emotions into it comes from this base sadness, this base dissatisfaction that comes from this from mm -hmm. from a lot of pain inside of you. Because everybody hurts, just most people don't know how to channel it mm -hmm. and make it visible for other people. Right. And especially with the tenderness with which, you know, Patrick Stewart has talked about um, the, the domestic abuse stuff, but also the fact that he, he like, has started charities for domestic abuse victims mm -hmm. and for the same reason from his childhood has started a whole bunch of charities for helping soldiers with PTSD. Right. Because that was a huge source of the abuse was the fact that his father had what was then called shell shock. Right. And the treatment was get over it. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, before these concepts were, were thoroughly understood. And that tenderness and that understanding of all those different sides, right. I think, feeds a lot of his, the, the, the brilliance of some of his roles, particularly roles like Picard who never looks at it one-sidedly. He's right. always looking at all the different angles. And there's such a wonderful mirror of that in who Patrick Stewart really is, even though obviously, you know, he's not the son of a French vinter, <laughs> you know, intergalactic explorer. Right. But, you know, in my heart he always will be. You hear me, Patrick? <laughs> Do you hear me, Patrick? Other Patrick <laughs> will always believe that you flew through space. Oh god! What if uh, all Patrick shared some sort of awkward mental link <laughs> where they could communicate with another? Like fucking Sense Eight, just yes. with all the Patricks, like yes. networked around the globe. That would just no <laughs> the horror of that. I mean, I'd be linked to Pat Buchanan. Like, I mean, well, I, we have to draw a line somewhere, but yes, 
Yeah, no, that's true. If you abandon Patrick for <laughs> the shortened moniker of Pat, you yeah. are no longer one of us. We cut you off from the collective. Die alone. If you're going to deny the Rick, you can no longer be the Patrick. <laughs> Excellent. You must have both Pat and, and Rick. A la, you know, Rick and Morty. I think we, we all need a little bit, a little bit of Rick in us. But yeah, I was reading something um, the other day. I, I think it was an online article, and I can't even remember who who published it. But it was something along the lines of um, depression with comedians, and part of why they want to make people laugh and yeah. feel happy is so that they can they see the problems within themselves, and they kind of want to make it so other people don't necessarily experience what they experience. Which I think is something beautiful, and it it also applies to Patrick Stewart because especially yeah. as he's aged, he's got such a great fucking humor about himself. Oh, wonderful! I mean, his character on fucking American Dad is what? beautiful. <laughs> yeah. the, his whole blossoming of, and um, I think I think the original quote that a lot of that uh, discussion has come from is the Robin Williams quote about right. I think that the, the 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 funniest people are actually frequently the saddest people right. because they know what it's like to be sad and they don't want anyone else to experience it. Um, uh, I've loved watching Patrick Stewart's blossoming as I keep using that term today, uh, but blossoming into it is a beautiful flower. It is the most beautiful <laughs> a sunflower that takes so long to open to the sun, but then follows it incessantly, <laughs> um, or like heirloom roses. I don't know. <laughs> we can debate about what yes. kind of flower Patrick Stewart is, I think, a different time. But, um... Uh... What were we just talking about? Um, Patrick Stewart's kind of old age transcendence into the oh. comedian nature and American Dad and... Um. Just showing how far out there he's willing to go with, uh-huh. in terms of the irreverence and the just... The, the the self the the humor about himself right. that he's willing to put out there that just shows so much of the fact that he is he understands his place in things and that you know as he, he can be skewered he's right. perfectly happy to skewer himself and the fact that that by all accounts he's he's essentially now like smoking buddies with Seth MacFarlane and Seth uses him in fucking everything because they love they love working together yeah that would, that it's was... such a weird pairing. There was that one off bit where he was playing Joe's baby in Family Guy and being nursed by Meg Griffin, but Meg didn't really... It, it was weird what? and out there, yeah. Okay, I've missed the last, like, three seasons of Family Guy. I don't roughly. know what season this was in, Maybe. but there's, there's an episode where, like, Meg ends up taking care of Joe and, like, basically falls in love with him because he's damaged. And like she oh needs, to, she needs to feel needed, and she needs to be there for him. Oh God! So she kind of has this downward spiral into becoming Bonnie, and part of that is taking care of the baby, who is of the age where the baby needs to nurse. So Meg attempts to nurse the baby, but obviously she's not <laughs> lactating. No. Oh. Oh, it's like version two of that horrible scene where Peter's breastfeeding Stewie and... Oh. Yeah. 
But Patrick Stewart is the baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're leading up to. Yes. No, which is, that's beautiful. That's, that's, that's beautiful. It's like a circle of life thing, you know. He's Bullock and the baby, you know. <laughs> Alpha and Omega. Christ child. Demon. Well, going back to, to Bullock, too, there's, there's a bit when he's talking about, you know, taking care of um, his baby and, like, trying to go out and meet chicks and how it doesn't really work because <laughs> it's the whole cradle to grave in one look. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, I still, I think my favorite Bullock moment is, is for all times, going to be the Bullock cover of I Love Little Girls when he's dating Haley? Yeah. Haley. Um, and comes in wearing her bathrobe and the fuzzy pink slippers and is singing just, I love little girls, they make me feel so good. And he, like, does the whole, like, dance, and it's Patrick Stewart fucking yeah. doing it. And I just about peed myself fucking laughing the first time I saw that. It was so wrong. So very wrong. Oh. So here's to you, Patrick Stewart. You have fueled an immense amount of our joy, a huge amount of this podcast today. Ladies and gentlemen, dear listeners out there sitting on your sofa beds and your your lazy boys and your your hammocks in the sun, your your orchard of apricots. Wherever you are, we hope you're in a far better place than us. <laughs> <laughs> and I yeah, think that'll that. that'll about do us do it for us on the uh... <laughs> do us for it <laughs> yeah um <laughs> they're all about do it for us on uh tbd podcast but we thank you for joining us definitely and as our as we always remind our listeners you know uh at the end of our podcast tbd is of course not to be determined it's two big dudes because we're somewhat large but signing off here from tbd this is patrick You're all beautiful. This is Etienne, and don't give in to the suffering.